0: Right, welcome back to another episode of Ignite Cast. My name is Rory Tyre, and I'm here with my co host, Mr. Judd Wilson. Rory, it's good to do another episode with you, as always. I love getting to sit down for these conversations, especially today because we got one of my best friends, Mr. Barton Ramsey, with us, who um, is the I guess founder, owner of Southern Oak Kennels, as well as some other ventures. Barton, thank you for being here with Judd and I. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So I guess to start off, Southern Oak Kennels, you know, champion gun dogs. Tell us about like that, and that's not the only thing you do. You also have Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy. Tell us a little bit about what you do. So
1: I have a Labrador Retriever kennel that produces puppies from British and Irish field trial lines of Labradors, uh, specifically for family companions who are also hunting dogs, usually waterfowl or upland. And through that developed an online learning company that um, teaches people how to train said gun dogs to be gun dogs. So really was finding myself answering a lot of the same questions to my clients and, and for other Kennel's clients and, and saw a need for revamping the way people learn to train their own dogs. Cause people are asking me, you know, do you recommend any books or DVDs, and I thought, well, number one, a lot of my clients are millennials and they don't really read much, and number two, <laughs> they don't even know the yeah. DVDs yeah. anymore. Do you yeah, know? I was like, the only DVD player I have is in my wife's Yukon, I mean. so we, you know, we decided to put something online that would help people learn that way, and it's, it's been a super venture, so yeah.
0: So that, nice. and I mean, people have been like training and breeding gun dogs for a while. This is an existing industry that you stepped into, but you have. You've disrupted it. I mean, I think that word yeah. gets thrown around a lot, but you really have. Like, I think in the way that you've branded Southern Oak Kennels, the way that you've cultivated a following, and then also having that fully online gun dog academy is a very disruptive move. People hadn't done that before. So, I don't know if that's a good place, Judd, for us to start because Ignite Cast is about leadership. It's about, it's about leadership learning and learning from the best. Yeah. And SOK is based in Okalona, Mississippi, just 30 minutes south of where we're sitting here in Tupelo, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, founded in Tupelo
1: on West Jackson Street, actually, in the middle of town. I had no, I had to drive daily to go let my dogs just run, you know, to go find places <laughs> to let them, go, let them get out. But yeah, I think it has only been this year that I've accepted what it means to be a disruption in a market. Hmm. And it was frustrating to me the way that some of my competition responded to us I, I understand it fully but and really what what started it for me was a lot of our clients with Cornerstone and a lot of our clients who had Southern Oak dogs from me and were using Cornerstone to train them were going to these venues where you can test your dog's ability and uh, against a standard and those are sort of uh, you know good old boy old school ways you know hey this is how we've done it for so long and when you go in with a different style even if it's as simple as like, The physical way that you send your dog on a retrieve is a little different, or the whistle you use is a little different. They notice. Mm -hmm. And this year, the phrase, you must be one of those Cornerstone guys, (laughs) or you must have a Southern Oak dog, started getting tossed around a lot, almost like a slur.
0: But they were
1: (laughs) passing and earning ribbons. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, man, that's weird. And actually, my business partner uh, from Alabama and Cornerstone, he was like, yeah, we've we were definitely a disruption. And I was like, that's right,
2: that's a, it's a good word. And it's what you strive for, but there's you know, there's a lot that comes with that for mm-hmm. sure. So you talk about being a disruptor, but also you said you started on, on Jackson Street here in Tupelo with the, with the dream of starting a kennel. How long have you had that entrepreneurial spirit of, hey, I'm just gonna try this and see what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great
1: question. So I was actually a student pastor at a church here in town Uh, Where my wife and I, and Rory and his wife, and our family still attend and and serve. And I was training dogs as a hobby. Uh, I will admit that my personality uh, sort of goes all in on hobbies. You know, I have to be careful. People will invite me to do something, and I'll say, no, I don't even need to try it. Because if I do, next thing you know, I'm going to, like, that's what I'm going to be doing. So I I don't want to have to be careful. The dog training thing was a hobby, and I just really loved it. And as far as the entrepreneurial side, I didn't know that that was, um, I didn't know that about myself. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was attracted to the church job here because there wasn't an existing student ministry and they were like, we want you to come develop it. And I was like, well, that's really cool. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I was pulled toward that. Southern Oak Kennels came along and it was, You you know Daniel Hicks. So Daniel was here in town, and we were at my house one night, and I was talking about training dogs. And he was like, well, if you're making money, you really need an LLC, and you really need to name it. And how about I help you, and I'll build you a website. And I was like, thanks, Daniel. Sounds good because that's his his lane. I stay out of that lane. So we both kind of came up with the name, and it was still just like a little side gig. And I I actually blame... um, my, my church position and like where my mind was there on why Southern Oak Kennels like did what it did. So I was in charge of developing community, um, building community, casting vision for a student ministry, and uh, developing a team and leading people. And that's what I ended up doing with Southern Oak Kennels as a byproduct. And I never, at the first few years, I never thought through it. Uh, A second important aspect of that, a lot of the the people who are already doing the kennel thing that I do have been around for quite some time. It's only been the last 18 months that I've seen an influx of young guys my age doing what we do. Before that, I was the youngest one by 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so when I got involved, they were all trying to figure out the social media thing you know, we, we, they were looking to hire people to help them be present on social media. They're still advertising in, you know, Garden and Gun or Ducks Unlimited, and th- things that are helpful, but they're, they're print and they're building a decent website in their mind. And I started it and I was like, every one of their websites looks like my middle school Zanga page. And, you know, and I just thought this could be done way better, but it wasn't a, like, I want to outdo them. It was like, I, I'm 32. I had a computer on the west side of Tupelo with dial-up internet in the sixth grade playing on AOL Instant Messenger. And every time something new came out with social media and connecting people on the internet, Rory and I, like that was our- Well, we
0: remember like, we're basically one of those last generations that remembers the turn from like the internet wasn't a part of our daily life to it was. Yeah. So it's like, I guess we're basically digital natives because it's formed all of our adult life, but we're that like millennial bridge. Yeah, time. it's a bridge. Yeah. It's it's a, I think that there should be an extra
1: chapter on it in mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers on mm-hmm. like how our age, like I, I would say 30 to 34, yeah. what we experienced with the internet and the fact that the way I like to describe it is: social media is a natural language mm-hmm. to me. It is not like a, oh, figure out how this works. It's it not is, like an extra
0: strategy. I need to be yeah. doing that. I don't need to read a
1: book on yeah. why people do or don't click on something on Facebook. Like it's the reason I don't. It's the reason I do. Yeah. And so, whereas these guys that were a little bit ahead of me in time and had built these awesome companies were on—they were on the tail end of hey, we need to catch up. We need to get on Instagram. We need to get on Facebook. We need to utilize these tools. Mm-hmm. Or I just did it because that's just what we, you do. You know, we had a Facebook page before we had anything else. And that was a huge part of, of our growth from 2012 to now. It's just sort of dominating
0: the social media game well, and by default. So right? let's put some numbers of that. So, like, the SLK Society, which I'm a member of because I'm fascinated by it, even though I've, like, never gone duck hunting in my life. I'm just going to say I'm old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. But we'll it's reference a, that later.
0: But, but, it's a, but that you've got how many people in that so we have a society page,
1: which is technically a private group, yeah. right? And it's it's pushing 6,000 people, yeah. which is a, larger than most of our competitors' entire reach uh, on, on social media. Yeah. But that's a group that people have to ask to join. Yeah. And that's a fun one because it is a very communal... I was going to do a newsletter, and then my friend was like, when was the last time you opened a newsletter? And I was like, that is a valid point. I, don't even, I told him, I said, I am, am, I am responsible for typing up a portion of my church's weekly newsletter, and I don't read the whole thing. <laughs> So, and that just could be a personality, you know, deal. But as I said, let's just do this group on internet, on the internet, on Facebook, where we can join in and we can say things like, Hey, how are the Cedar and Tilly pups doing? And everyone that has one of those pups that's in there can post pictures and updates and there's all this camaraderie
2: around it. And, uh, it's, that's been a, a really cool sphere of influence. So you kind of, you're talking about this community here and you mentioned it earlier when you said, when people mentioned Southern Oak or or the, uh, the cornerstone or whatever, it was almost like, hey, look, look at those guys. All, that's always bucking the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's good for a leader to, to be able to kind of say, hey, I'm going to do things my way? Speaking of old, I'm just going to do this little sidebar. <laughs> I was his RA leader um, back when he was like in middle school. So uh, yeah, little show little. you my age. But I do remember, Barton, even back then, it wasn't like you were a rebel, but you just did things your way. And I like that, even as you're RA later, I probably didn't tell you that then. Yeah. Well, but, no, but I mean I think it's good to kind of be able to say, hey, this is the way I'm gonna do things and you can either jump on board or not. Yeah. There were enough people in my life, thankfully, that encouraged
1: my individual spirit. And there were a lot of people that called it a rebellious spirit. And yeah. I thought maybe in some ways, but not really. I'm I'm really a rule follower for right. the most part. Right. It's just I'm uh, I, I never minded showing up at high school with purple hair. Yeah. And yeah, I I
2: would, yeah, yeah, no, you know, like, but I mean, you know, being the, being the
1: first guy that I'm aware of to show up at Tupelo High School in girls' jeans, you know, and, like, being completely fine with that, sitting at a table with preppy kids that were my friends,
0: yes. you know, and still are my friends, and... This is something, yeah. by the way, Bart and I have in common, that in high school we both owned and wore, on more than one occasion, a pair of girls. Mine were American Eagle, size 12, so Okay, yeah. cool. I don't know the size, they're fucking yeah. but... Um, yeah, I mean... I think that
1: I think there's something there is something to be said about having an outside a different fresh perspective on the way things are done and I have to challenge myself to that same with with my both my companies it's easy to do something new and different and then still get stuck and say, well, that's just how we do it. you know we do it this way and not be thinking about what's next and how do we we're doing that with Cornerstone because the internet is always changing and how people use it to learn is always changing. And so going back and saying, hey, the system we originally created might not be good in a year from now. Let's change the way people work through it. And that's hard because I'm like,
0: well, right. we built that. It's good. You know, right. it's, don't If it's not broke, don't fix it sort of yeah. thing. But, I mean, you hear about fear of failure a lot, but fear of success is really important and real too. Because yeah. you start getting blind to ways in which that you need to not be content with how successful you've become. Yeah, it's easy to be content
1: and, and let it roll. And I've got some guys on my, che- my team with Southern Oak especially who are always pushing and like, hey, how are we going to... So we do, we, we, we will have to have conversations as a team about our competitors and what they're doing. And a, a lot of their marketing is sort of, they, they will target us some, you know, and, and sort of take swings at the big guy, which is funny to say because we've only been around for seven years, so right. uh, to say the big guys really just like a, an internet thing, right? It's like we're big on the internet, but we'll have these conversations, you know, about, well, these guys, this, and I have guys on my team, they're like, why are we even talking about this? Let's talk about how we're going to crush it next year, and I'm like, that's what we need. We need that. That conversation starter <laughs> to say, forget it. Let's just keep doing things where they're like, oh, we didn't think of that, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. It's uh, it can be, you know, when you do things different and and change the way things have been done. There's usually a lot of ridicule that comes with that, but
0: mm.
1: uh, it's it's I've found typically worth it. And you have to have a personality type that's okay with that. Whereas like my wife is, she doesn't love that. She doesn't love bucking the system. So mm. on one hand, I'm always a little bit of a challenge for Bethany of. <laughs> did you have to say that or did you have to do this? On the other hand, she is a great
2: grounding mm-hmm. force for me to say maybe I shouldn't go that far with, <laughs> with doing it. Speaking of grounding forces, so as a leader, sometimes we have mentors or people that we you know, turn to when we have certain questions. Who, who is that person or who was that person that you still kind of draw
1: on? Yeah, there were there were a few. As far as dog training goes, uh, it was a guy named Mark Harefield. He lives in Houston, Texas now, but he lived right down from here in Eupora. I met him just through, I, I hired him actually to train a dog for me, and we became fast friends, and uh, he's my dad's age had been doing this for a long time, had a very, very, very strong personality, like hyper-confrontational, and I was attracted to that. <laughs> and um, But really was like on the end of his career. He was always talking about retirement, and I think he saw me as an opportunity to invest in mm-hmm. someone that was gonna come along behind him and, and was super kind. We're still friends, I talked to him a while ago. Um, but from a dog, and dog business, like, quite, like you know, what insurance do I need? You know, when you're getting into this stuff, you're like, well, it's a weird business, right? Even when you call insurance companies, like, what do you do? Yeah. You know, how many dogs are on your property, and like, are they around kids? I'm like, yeah, but they're sweet. You know, like it's, you know, what happens if a kid gets bit? And I'm like, well, it's gonna stink, and you're gonna have to pay a lot of money, I'm guessing. And it's just a, those conversations with him were super important. Mm-hmm. Almost all of um, the mentors in my life as far as the other stuff outside of just the the skeleton of a dog kennel the entrepreneurship the community aspect are all from the church world so pastors um i had a mentor in college and my uncle who was a college pastor mark ramsey and then and his friend who's a pastor in texas named matt chandler and those guys were i was with them a lot for years and they were challenging me to think about the way they were doing ministry, and they were often ridiculed for doing things a little different and a little mm-hmm. out there, but remaining faithful to the scriptures. And um, yeah, that, those, that type of mentality was, was inspirational to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had one mentor who's the president of Criswell College now named uh, Dr. Barry Creamer, and he actually came here and preached my ordination service in Tupelo. And man, he was really the guy that I went to when I was like, I do not know what to do here. Including uh, when I was working on making the decision of, the decision between do I stay doing vocational ministry at this time? Do I go and pursue the vocation of a small business owner full time? And uh, he was very instrumental in walking me through some of that and helping me
0: to navigate those waters. So that you you bring up something I wanted to ask you about. I mean, you've, you've gone through significant transition. I think five years ago, even you would not have seen yourself doing what you're doing full time now with either SOK or Cornerstone, I don't think. Right. And you've been through some significant transition. What are the things that helped you navigate transition? Well, that you think other people listening to this probably also need to grab hold of for themselves, whatever that transition looks like.
1: Man, that's a great question. Um, I was just talking to someone about, I mean, we're about to step into 2020 and 2010, I was married and we had our first child and I was a part-time paid, full-time working student pastor. (laughs) Right. And the amount of transition that has happened from then to now is it's because you asked me, where do you you see yourself in five years? Like at no point. (laughs) would I have seen any of this? You know, it's just been a really weird ride. Um, So having, having people in your life who will speak very objectively to you and know your heart, that was super important because I could ask Dr. Creamer what do you think about this? And I knew it was wasn't gonna there were a lot of people that were like, You can do this, you can full time, that's okay, go for it, bro. And I was like, Yeah, but like you're not paying my bills. And <laughs> you know, and it's it's having someone who can ground you in that was very important. Um, having somewhat of a plan for the transition, I think, is is important, but there are also aspects of my transition from one career to another career that Uh, were caused out of just necessity, just life things that happen and you have to make some changes. Um, Being willing to do that and then not being driven uh, by fear was a big one. I mean, there was definitely times where I could have easily said, I'm not going to do this. uh, It's safer to take this route. Uh, And then lastly, uh, something that I don't know that I could have done it without is Someone who is somewhat of a safety net for you. So I have my dad, still have my dad. He's here in Tupelo, been here since he was two, um, is always fully supportive of me. And uh, there's definitely like a pride issue in saying I don't want to ask my dad for help. I don't, but there's also a, a massive amount of security knowing at the end of the day, if I try this and fail, my dad's not gonna let me be homeless. You know, and, and he he's a resource there. And maybe it's not your dad, maybe it's a friend or an investor or someone who's willing to believe in your vision and say, even if it takes a little bit of time to get to where you're sustaining this, I will help you. Uh, that was huge. And just knowing that, just that that helps you sleep at night. Knowing, hey, if it salary is about to be gone, if we're gonna have money, I have to go make it. And if that doesn't happen, what are we going to do?
2: Yeah. And that's uh, having that question answered before you jump off the cliff is, is important. <laughs> and with your background in, in church work, I mean, faith plays a role in that as well, mm-hmm. right? Big time, yeah, big time. But that's that's a hard that's a hard one too because
1: it was very difficult for me uh, and Bethany. Bethany is a daughter of a uh, a minister uncles, granddads, ministers, ministers, all the strong men in her family for the most part are in ministry. So even for her, for myself, uh, we this would be a whole a whole separate episode of conversation, <laughs> but we use phrases like calling, I'm called to this, and, and does that mean a lifelong calling? Uh, or even me, I've invested in a four-year degree in religious studies with the emphasis on theology, so I've invested a lot into that. Um, I've been affirmed and by people I know and those positions and roles. And so there's definitely like a amount of, of prayer. Hey Lord, what well, you know, mm-hmm. is it okay that I do this? Like, what well, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it, am I turning my back on something you've called me to do? That took a lot of walking through and talking mm-hmm. to mentors who are believers who can see and, and evaluate my life, who know my motives. Um, yeah, that, That took quite a bit. It was a lot of sleep lost over what what am I doing here? What is, you know, is this right, wrong, indifferent? What's
0: best? I think a lot of people, like if you're listening to this, like a lot of people, there's this, like the idea of vocation calling it's a sort of big like what do I why am I doing what I'm doing like like what are the core values maybe some of you listening haven't thought through this but like what's the vision for my life how do I want to show up in the world and then our work sometimes only reflects part of that right Mm -hmm. so what I do day to day to get a paycheck um, and I think having a good sense of like what your core values are helps you end up making some of those decisions so I know for you your faith helps to anchor your identity in such a way where you're not necessarily looking to your business to tell you who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that, from knowing you, that puts you in a stronger position to be able to make some of those decisions based on confidence rather than fear, as an example. So if you're listening, knowing who you want to become, what your core values are, it's a way of rooting your identity, which gives you resources for things like scary transitions that don't have clear outcomes.
1: For
0: sure. Yeah, no, no,
1: having a, a strong sense of identity and purpose beyond what you do mm-hmm. is huge and and you see the opposite you see people who their entire identity is and what they do and then when what they do changes it's a crisis you know yeah. or when they lose their job it's a crisis um, but it seems like in this culture a lot of people are constantly looking for anything to attach their identity to mm-hmm. rather than to have it self-sufficient yeah. i did this is who i am it's i am what i do or i am a relationship, or I, you know, and that that can my be difficult to get past that, like, yeah, right? Yeah, stuff like that. yeah, and so um, I definitely had a strong, probably too strong, sense of, of confidence in my identity and and my purpose. I will say this though, as an as a business owner, my sphere of influence, especially from a religious standpoint with the gospel, is is no less than when I worked in a church. It's different. Uh, I'm I'm not taking along a small group of teenagers to disciple them, per se, which is a a massive impact and massively important, but I am able to make impacts in in other people's lives and not even just having uh, what we would call gospel conversations, but even in the way that we do business, just being honest, just being willing to, even this past year, take some pretty mega losses um, by being honest, by being transparent. And uh, that, that makes a difference, I think, in people's lives and
2: yeah. That's uh, in it, and Rory goes back to what you said, it's that core value. Yeah, yeah. I mean I think I think of organizations like a Chick fil A or uh, a Hobby Lobby that they don't have to say what they are. People just know because yeah. of the values that they, you yeah. know, yeah. speak out in, in their in their day to day working. That value is super simple to us too. Bethany
1: got me a poster last year that said something like people over profit or something like that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely that. But it's even more simple than that. It's literally do to other people what you want done to yourself. Like it's that Mm -hmm. simple. I think Mm -hmm. there's some people that have said that in the past that we should probably listen to. But
2: No, I like that. I like the one she got me because it's
1: alliterated and it's it's cool. But um, no, I mean just, yeah, like being able to sit back and say, Here's this situation I've been put in the middle of, or I've put myself in the middle of, or it just is, and what am I gonna do? And just having that question. What would I want someone, if I'm that guy, what would I want someone to do? Mm-hmm. And just do that. <laughs> word of mouth is huge. You can be as big as you want on social media, but if you stink at your job, yeah. then it gets around, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and we have a, a for now, a strong
0: reputation. I think that's why. You know it's treating people the way you want to be treated so Barton, what are some of the you know the people listening to this podcast we're interested in personal development we're interested in leveling up, getting better at what we do whether you have a leadership title or not. we would say leadership is basically influence, so you have the opportunity to grow in your own self awareness so Barton, what are some of the resources that you have really learned from whether it's a book, a practice, an idea just a few things that people listening might want to walk away with yeah um
1: Life coaching with you, yeah. So, I teed that one up, but no, I don't think you probably expect me to say that. But I think walking through coaching with you is probably one of the most helpful things I've done. Did y'all grow the beards together? Or no, that like that? I've rocked beard for a while. Okay. But, uh, man, it was just like a random phone conversation. I was on a trip one time, we started talking about coaching, and mm-hmm. you had just gotten into it, and it was a, a like, superb journey for me mm-hmm. and growing in self awareness leaving conversations saying man i feel like i should have known those things about me and where i wanted to go but now i know that i know them and i don't even really remember what rory said but it was super like helpful I feel like i talked the whole time and he said like three questions and now i, I know what i want to do with my life you know I said, <laughs> that was actually super helpful um and then uh, i have grown uh, listening to a handful of podcasts mm-hmm. on leadership entree leadership some of their older podcasts are really really good mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm stoked about you guys doing this podcast. I just think people listening to other people and hearing their stories. I learn best, uh, by listening to the narrative. So having people kind of tell their story and, and see that that's been a, a huge one for me and growth. And then devouring as many books as I can with my schedule, uh, and trying to, to do that across a wide spectrum, uh, like outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, that's an easy fun read. And then, um, you know, marketing books. There's a book called Contagious. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it right now off the top of my head, but that one was super helpful to me. Uh, And then having some sort of anchor books that uh, I go back, um, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People in the Digital Age. I read it every year in March. Like that's like a going back to those sort of things and saying, this is the foundation right here of -hmm. of how you built this and and sticking with that.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good to hear your story and and to hear you know, kind of what Rory said, having those core values to help drive your business, because I think that's what's helped you grow. Mm-hmm. Is just the poster she gave you. People over profit. People yeah, see that. I agree. Yeah, it's a, it's it's important. It makes a difference,
1: and uh, it's a, a marathon, not sprint mentality so, with right. that way. Because you right. could you could definitely make a quick profit and sacrifice the way you treat people, and there's no long game in that. Mm-hmm. You know, so realizing, hey, we might might be hard right now to do it this way right. in the long run it pays off mm-hmm. for sure
0: well listener thank you so much for spending time with us again another episode of ignite cast we hope that this story has helped energize you inspire you giving you some more resources judd glad to be here with you again to be here and i might grow a beard Roy, now that i <laughs> see you
2: two with <laughs> beards
0: who knows it is it's the a, season it is the season <laughs> barton man just appreciate you so much thanks for spending time with us yeah thanks, thanks for having me. me i enjoy it <laughs>